Well, good morning, church. Oh, it's good to be with you today. It's good to be in this place, this home that we call home, because uh, Jesus makes his family, and it's good to be at home with Jesus, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. We are here today to worship Jesus, and we're here to be fed by Jesus through his word. And uh, in that spirit, I want to invite you to take your Bibles out, have your Bibles ready to go. You may have them digitally. You might have brought your Bible with you in some other way. And if you don't have a Bible, the ushers are going to make their way up the aisle right now. You just lift up a hand, and we'd be happy to put a Bible in your hand. We just love it when people have God's word open and ready to study it and listen to it as we're together in this place. So if you've got a Bible with you... uh, Uh, You can put a place marker in it at Luke 24. That's where we're going to be teaching from today. Uh, So Luke 24. Well, you know, we have been in a sermon series that started at the beginning of this fall, and it's entitled Jesus at Home. And we've been looking at all the different ways that Jesus makes himself at home, welcomes us home, and deals with people in their homes. And it's a really broad subject because Jesus spent a lot of time with people in their homes. Story after story, parable after parable, they unfold throughout the Gospels and all the way through the New Testament to show us about these times where Jesus was at home with someone, when Jesus spent time with them, and, and when Jesus broke bread with them and had a meal with them, which was often. It's something Jesus did a lot As a matter of fact, that's why we've taken a little focus and shift in our sermon series right now to Jesus at the table, not just in our homes, but Jesus at the table in our homes. And the table is an incredibly important thing. It's amazing how much it shows up in the scriptures about being around a table, about sharing food together, sharing stories together, walking alongside each other. They're all over the scriptures And it's good for us to just celebrate some of those ways that God has been doing that among us. You may have been here a couple of weeks ago when we had our All Saints Day All Church potluck at the beginning of November. All right, if you weren't here, you missed it. You missed some really good stuff. And uh, and we'll do it again someday, I'm sure. I'm not making a promise as to when, but just saying sometime out there, we'll have another one of those opportunities. Because it's good just to be together. And that's what we were. That morning, we, we came together in God's word. We let him teach us. We came and we, we feasted at God's table. And then we went out to be at tables with one another and to share the stories and, and to hear about each other's lives and just get to know one another around a table. That's, that's such a beautiful thing. And it's, it's a marker of what is meant to be a part of the body of Christ. But that wasn't the end of it, because then the following weekend, we had a confirmation service. And in preparation for that confirmation service, we had a confirmation banquet. There was a banquet on that Friday night, and all those confirmands that came before us on Sunday to confirm their faith, to affirm their love for Jesus, their desire to follow him and serve him for the rest of their lives, they were at that banquet with their parents. So there was family time around tables. We had a great meal together. We, we shared life together. It was wonderful. And, and I want to brag a little bit about Melinda and about our refuge student ministry here today because, you know, we had a, a number of students who were there that morning being confirmed. It was just a beautiful Holy Spirit moment for us to lay our hands on each one of them and, and pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit on each of them and to trust that God was leading and guiding them. And, uh, and we had a, a group that was there, and then there was, of course, the following Wednesday, they had refuge again. You know how many of those confirmands showed back up again for refuge? All of them. All of them. All of them. Friends, that's a marvelous work. That's an incredible work of the Holy Spirit, and it's an incredible sign of what it is that God wants to keep doing. It's important to be family together. 
It's important not to make this just a ritual, but to recognize the joy that we have in being in each other's presence and how much of that can take place around a table. Now, it wasn't just Jesus who was comfortable being around tables. Excuse me. All through the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, we see again and again and again stories of God's people being together around a table and breaking bread, sharing a meal together. It's all throughout scripture, time after time after time. You know, I had a, a friend of mine who was a Messianic Jew who came to come and share with us around the Passover meal. And, uh, and as he was sharing, he said something that I will never forget. He said, you need to understand, you can summarize the story of God's people this way. They tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. <laughs> he said, it's just, it's that story repeated over and over and over again. And it's really true. So many of the feasts that are celebrated within not only the church, but were celebrated within the time of Jesus and and within the Jewish community, they were feasts that were all around the fact that they tried to kill us. We survived by God's help. Let's eat and celebrate. It's good. It's a good pattern. It happened over and over and over again. And Jesus just let that flow right on into his life around tables with people too. Matter of fact, Leonard Sweet, who's a friend of mine and a popular author, has coined this phrase. He says, Jesus ate good food with bad people. That's really kind of a summary of Jesus' ministry. He ate good food with bad people. How many times do we find Jesus in somebody's home around a table with some people eating some food, and some of them were not the people that everybody expected him to be around? Jesus loved to be around people. He loved to share a meal because there's something so important about community around a table about the way that we share our lives together, especially when we've been walking alongside each other, sharing our stories. It's a potent and powerful image, and it's all throughout the Bible. And it's something to keep in mind today as we come to yet another table. We're going to look at another spot where there's an important table and an important journey that some disciples make. And I want to invite you again to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We're going to begin reading together at verse 13. Verse 13, some of your Bibles may have a caption on top of it that says, on the road to Emmaus, or the Emmaus Road, or something similar to that. And uh, if you've got your Bibles open, you can just follow along there as I read today. Now that same day, two of the disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened as they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked alongside them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are 
And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened in the way and on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. It's quite a story, isn't it? Powerful, amazing. Let's set the scene here because this is Resurrection Sunday. Not today. Although every Sunday should be Resurrection Sunday because he is risen. Oh, like some people got an amen. Some people know the other response. So let's try it one more time. He's risen. There we go. Fantastic. Every Sunday is meant to be a little Easter. But when we celebrate Easter in that spirit, we're, we're recognizing what Jesus has done and that Jesus is alive. Well, here we have this story of these two disciples who have just left Jerusalem and they don't know what's happened to Jesus. See, they don't have the benefit of hindsight. What they have is the stories that they've heard from some people, from the women who had been there, and and from others who had some rumors that were kind of circulating around. And and more than anything, they were just kind of despondent. They were downcast. They were bummed. They were walking their way down this road, leaving Jerusalem, heading west on a seven-mile journey to Emmaus. Now, something that's interesting about this passage is that there are two disciples. Only one of them is mentioned by name, Cleopas. The other one is not mentioned, and it's kind of been assumed by many people that, well, obviously that must be another male disciple that was walking along with Jesus. But here's the thing that's kind of interesting. There is a disciple named Clopas who is mentioned in the book of John, John 19.25. And in that spot in John, it simply says this, Mary who was the wife of Clopas. Now, Clopas and Cleopas can be just two different spellings of the same name. So it's possible. I'm not saying that this is entirely for sure, but it's possible that who was walking down this road to Emmaus was a husband and wife. It's possible that Cleopas and his wife were traveling from Jerusalem and were sharing this story and were sharing in this heartbreak as they walked along the way. And it does just kind of change a little bit of the way you see the story, perhaps. But either way, these two disciples are walking down this road, heading towards Emmaus, distraught, bummed out, and and up comes a stranger. A stranger joins them and starts walking along with them. Now, it wouldn't be uncommon to have another person kind of join you on a path, especially if you're walking to a destination. This stranger comes up next to them and, and just says, Hey, what you talking about? And this couple looks at Jesus and says, haven't you, aren't you coming from Jerusalem? Do you not really know what's been going on there? You've been living under a rock? 
Don't you know the story of what's been happening over there? All the things that have been going on? What things? Asks this stranger innocently, who we come to find out is Jesus in disguise. Jesus in disguise. The the followers are kept from understanding who he is or recognizing him. So he's just walking along and wants to hear their version of the story. And they share their version of the story. This Jesus of Nazareth who came in power and miracles, who we thought and expected was going to be the one who would redeem Israel, the Messiah. That's what we were counting on. But now he's dead. And he died a horrible, brutal death. And we've heard rumors now after three days that that the tomb was empty, but nobody's seen Jesus, so we don't really know what's going on. And, And it feels like our life is just ruined. We're wrecked. Where do we go from here? What are we supposed to do? And the stranger, remember, they don't know that he's Jesus. The stranger looks to them and just says, How foolish you are. Don't you believe all that was written in the prophets? And they start unpacking the story. They keep walking, and this stranger starts unpacking the story for them, going all the way back to Moses, to the very beginning. Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, all the way through the Pentateuch, right there at the beginning, starts unpacking the stories that are there that point to the Messiah, that point to Jesus. He's not just sharing these stories so that they can see if they memorize their scripture right. He's saying, look, do you see where these scriptures are pointing? They're pointing to this Messiah. And do you recognize that in the words of the prophets as they continue to share that this Messiah had to suffer and die? Do you see it now? And now their eyes are starting to be open to the scriptures. They're starting to see the scriptures in a different way and and being reminded and encouraged. And and as they're walking along, their hearts are just kind of being uplifted. They're like, wow, this this kind of changes everything as we hear the story this way. Well, now they get to Emmaus, and and Jesus looks like he's just going to keep on walking. And instead, they invite him to come and stay. Now, I want to pause there for a minute because here's the thing. You need to know a little bit about Middle Eastern culture to kind of understand what's happening in this part of the story. Because you see, in Middle Eastern culture, not just back then, but even all the way to today, hospitality is one of the highest values that is held. Hospitality. It's about welcoming the stranger. That's what hospitality means. Welcoming the stranger, letting the stranger come and be with you. And it was very, very vital in Middle Eastern culture. Why? Because in some places, it could be a long time before you would see people. Many of the the tribes in the times of of the Old Testament, they were separated out. They were spread out in all these different places. You could go a long ways before you found the next place. So if somebody came to your door or came to the the opening of your tent and said, hi, can I come in and, and, and stay with you and have a meal with you? It was expected. It was almost demanded that, of course, you opened up your table, you shared whatever it is that you had, and you gave safe refuge to that person. Hospitality was an expectation. You opened your home to people who needed you. If they were coming to your door, you did not refuse them. In fact, it would be a huge insult to refuse somebody who came to your door. 
So here we have these two disciples who are stopping in Emmaus. And think again, it could be this is Cleopas and Mary. And they're going to their home, right? And they step into their place and they see Jesus who just kind of keeps walking on by. Well, Jesus wouldn't have assumed that he was going to stay there with them. He would either have to ask to stay with them or would be invited, one or the other. So Jesus is just going to kind of act like he's going to keep on going. It says right there, it's like, I just kind of walk, look like he's just going to keep walking on further. And they don't know he's Jesus. He's just a stranger who's been walking along with them. And so these disciples say, wait a second. Hey, hey, Jesus, it's late. You know, uh, sun's going down. You got to be hungry. Uh, why don't you come stay with us? Stay and let us host you in our home. Come and stay with us. Let us. Let's break bread together. Let's have a meal. Let's keep up the conversation that we've been having. So they welcome this stranger into their home and practice that hospitality. That's just a little bit of the way that it worked in the Middle Eastern culture. Now, you know, we've got all these same kinds of little customs and things in our culture today, right? You, if you remember, uh, a few weeks ago, Kevin Sheldon, who is our pastoral intern here, he shared a story about Norwegian goodbyes. You know, the goodbyes that just keep going and going and going and going. First, there's the one inside the house, and then there's the one while you're putting your shoes on. Then there's the one at the door. Then there's one right outside the door. Then there's the one as you're getting the door into your car. And then there's the one as you're finally leaving and waving and going down the street, right? Multiple goodbyes. Well, there's another piece of, of uh, I would call, custom that we also practice as Midwesterners, and uh, especially as those of Scandinavian descent, that I would call it, rather than calling it uh, the Norwegian goodbye, I would call it the Norwegian invitation. Okay? The Norwegian invitation. And the Norwegian invitation goes something like this. You're welcomed into someone's home. You sit down. You take your shoes off. You're, you're in the living room, and, and the host comes out to you and says, hey, would you like a cup of coffee? And the first response is, no, 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 that's Okay. And then they go, I just put on a fresh pot. And you go, no, really, I wouldn't want to trouble you. And then the third time they go, are you sure? Okay, as long as you're going back there, I, I, if you're getting one for yourself, I'd like to have a cup of coffee too, right? And you better say yes on the third time because there won't be a fourth time, right? Once you've said no, no more chances. That's just kind of a part of the way that we function, it's something that we're used to. And most people who have grown up and been raised in this part of the country, they kind of know that that's just the way that it works. It's like, it's like leaving half of the donut on the tray when it's all said and done. You know, it's like you can't eat the last part of the donut. I mean, you got to leave it there for somebody else who's not going to eat it. Right? You know, these are all little, little tiny customs that are part of it. But they're familiar for those who have been born and raised right here in the Midwest. But they can be strange to others. Strange to people who may not have been born here right in the Midwest. Strange to people like Dan Lugo. <laughs> and I point out Dan Lugo because Dan had a story to share with me when we were talking about this this week. And he said, yeah, he says, you know what? I, 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 got, I learned my lesson about the way that this works in the Midwest because he was at a friend's home and it was a, it was, he was there with his fiance, with the, the friend's fiance, and, and Dan was staying there with him. And, and uh, as the evening was going on, it was obvious that they were going to have a meal with the, the fiance and his friend, and they had, had some steak set up and it was all, all getting ready to go. And, uh, and so, so the friend looked to Dan and said, hey, oh, uh, Dan, if you don't, would you like to eat with us? 
And Dan broke every rule. He said, yeah, that'd be great. And the eyes got kind of big of your friend, and there was an awkward silence, and a, you're not supposed to do that in a moment. If you don't know the custom, breaking the custom makes everybody a little bit uncomfortable, right? So here we have back to Jesus, back to this stranger who has been welcomed in to this home of a husband and wife, perhaps. They welcome him in to come in and sit with them and have a meal with them. Now, if he was to come and sit at the table and have a meal with them, he was the guest, he was the stranger, the hospitality was being shown by those who were the owners or the, the keepers of the home and the table, and so they would be the hosts. And the expectation is, of course, that the host would bless the meal, that the host would distribute the food, that that's what the host would do. And Jesus breaks the rules. Jesus takes the bread that was at the table. Suddenly, Jesus becomes the host. And he takes the bread, and he gives thanks, and he breaks it, and he starts to give it to his disciples. And in that moment, they recognized him. Then they saw who he was. They recognized that as, as uncouth as this was for, for this stranger to be in their home and to, to act like they were the host of the table, now it all made sense because, friends, Jesus is the host of every table that he is at. Jesus is always the host. At whatever table we gather together in as Christians, wherever two or more of us are gathered, Jesus is there, Jesus is present, and he's the host. He is the host. And some of you who might come from a Roman Catholic background might know that that term host can have a lot of meanings. Because the host in Roman Catholic circles is, is what has been blessed, the bread that has been blessed that is now the real body of Jesus and you come and, and, and give honor to the host. But host is also a root word of a number of things like hospitality. Hospitality and host come from the same root. Welcoming the stranger. But you know what a, another term is that's related to host? Hostile. Hostile. Now, how does that make sense? Why would host and hostile and hospitality be connected? What could possibly be the connection? Well, here's the thing, friends. When Jesus is at the table, breaks the bread, says this is my body, and gives it to you, it's an end of hostilities. Because you see, that's another part of Middle Eastern hospitality, is that it's not just hospitality to show the stranger who is a friend that shows up at the door. But you have to do it even if it's a mortal enemy. Even if that person is from an enemy tribe, somebody that you have been warring with, if they come to your door and ask to come in and stay with you, you're expected to open up the door. Welcome them in. Sit at table with them. And in that moment and in that time, there's no more hostility. There is hospitality and people breaking bread with one another. That's what hospitality does. That's the example that Jesus sets before us. His hospitality heals the hostility. 
It heals it right in that moment. And not only that, hospitality gives hope to the hungry. You're coming and seeking and looking for something at the table. You can expect that if it's a table of hospitality, it's going to be offered to you there. So Jesus is the one who ends the hostility because he hosts the table. And Jesus is the one who provides the bread, his body, to feed us and nourish us in our spiritual hunger. Why? Because of his great love for us and his desire for us to see him for who he really is. He's revealed in that hospitality, friends. Jesus is revealed. They get to see him for who he really is because the table is open and welcome to anybody who would come and receive the invitation. No matter where they're from, no matter what their background is, if they come to the table where Jesus is host, they are welcomed and forgiveness is offered and hostility is dealt with and hope is restored. That's the power, not only of the table, but of the one who hosts the table. Jesus is the host at every table, and his desire for us is that when we come to the table with the stranger who may be joining us at our table, that they would see Jesus too. That they would see Jesus through us. That they would see Jesus through our hospitality. That they would come to know Jesus and his love and his forgiveness through the hospitality that is offered to the stranger. This is what we're called to, friends. This is why the table is so important. And of course, I'm referring to multiple things here. I'm referring to the, the table of our Lord that we come to on Communion Sunday where he lays out a banquet for us and says the same thing to us. This is my table. I am inviting you. If you come and eat at it, it's an end of hostilities. It's a forgiveness of sins. It's a welcoming into the kingdom. You are no longer a stranger. You're now a friend. You're no longer an enemy. You are now a brother or sister in Christ. Amazing that Jesus accomplishes that at his table. But he invites us to do it at our tables as well. When we gather at that table, and there's going to be a lot of table gatherings over the next few months here, next few weeks, you're going to be at a lot of different tables. A Thanksgiving table the leftover table the next day, <laughs> office parties, neighborhood parties, your growth groups, small groups, Christmas, Christmas Eve, all of those different occasions to be around the table. We as followers of Jesus are to acknowledge that he is the one who is hosting so that we can point others to him as well. So that when we share the stories, we share God's story. Just like the stranger did to the disciples as they walked along. He shared the story from scripture so that they would come to know and see the truth of what was being pointed to from the Moses and the prophets. That this is what was being pointed to Jesus. It was being pointed to him. And then we come to that table and, and we break bread together. And in that breaking of bread... We acknowledge and remember who Jesus is and we receive the feeding that he so desires for us. Let me tell you about a practical way that this plays out in my life today. 
Our staff gets together for a staff meeting every Tuesday morning. Some of you may have known that, others of you may not. But we get together at 9 a.m. and we're not done until 11.30. You might think, two and a half hours, that's a long meeting. Well, here's the thing. Let me tell you how we spend our first hour together. We gather at the table. We share stories. We share highs and lows. We share things that we are celebrating. We share things that we are struggling with. We share the places that we need prayer. We share the the hard things and the good things. We share them all. We spend time just sharing life with one another at the table. And then when we're done, we open up God's word. And someone leads us in a devotion, something that God wants to speak to us that day from his word, to feed us from his word. And then after that, we take time and we pray. We pray for one another, and we pray over a whole list of prayer requests that have come before us from the whole congregation. We pray for you in that time. In all the requests that are offered and the ones that are left off the page that we know are in your hearts, we pray over each and every one of them. And then when we're done, we stay at the table, and we break the bread and we hold up the cup and we share communion with one another around the table because Jesus is the host. Our prayers are to him. Our faith is in him, not in our ability to magically fix things in the church or to fix things in the world or to even fix the things in our own lives that are broken. Our hope is in Jesus and in him alone and in sharing with one another and being the body of Christ together We get to experience that. And then we get to see Jesus visibly before us as we share together in his body and blood. And then we break. And that takes about an hour. We take a 10-minute break and we come back together again. And now we get down to the work that we are called to do as disciples. Because you see, we have a mission statement, and it's to be and make disciples. And so we model that every Tuesday in our staff meeting. The first hour is just being his disciples, just being together, just being children of God, just sharing that life together, just sharing the Jesus life that he's poured into us. We just share that together. It's not about anything else at that point. It's just about us being the people of God and pointing to Jesus And then the rest of the meeting is about making disciples because that's our call. That's what we are called to as leaders in the church. And it's not just our call. It's the call of every person who calls this church their home to be a disciple of Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus. And that doesn't happen alone. And it doesn't happen perfectly. It happens through trial and error and and making mistakes and hurting each other and screwing up and then apologizing and then offering forgiveness. It happens in all those ways, but it's always focused on Jesus, on being his disciple, and then going and making disciples by doing what he has called us to do in the world. Be disciples, make disciples. It's not that complicated. And I would encourage you in whatever group it is that you are in. Some of you are in growth groups already. Some of you have other small groups that gather together. Some of you are a part of the quilting ministry or, or the, the sewing clutch that gets together in the, in the mornings throughout the week. Whatever group it is that you're in, it doesn't matter about the group because groups can be all kinds of different things. But what should always be at the center of them 
is a revelation of who Jesus is, that we share life together, that we share prayers together, that we share God's word together, and that we share his body and blood together. And some of you who have been raised in the Lutheran church or in the Roman Catholic church might be sitting to yourself saying, well, wait a second, you're saying that we can like have communion in our group? The answer is yes. Yes. As the one who's called to the ministry of word and sacrament in this church, I authorize you in your small group to be together with one another and to share the Lord's Supper together. What a wonderful, rich life that could bring into everything that we do. You can start doing it right now with your family. You can start doing it with your neighbors. You can do it in all these different tables that you're going to be around. Take advantage of these times and live into those times around the table. And then here's one other invitation for you. We host something here at Community of Grace called Project Home. It takes place throughout the entire month of December and ends at the beginning of January. And what we do is we open up this place to be a home for the homeless. They come and they spend the coldest time of the year here with us. They sleep here. They share a meal together here. And all of that requires people who will be hosts. Jesus is the host of all of it, but he needs us to walk in his way and be hosts for others. And there's a sign-up sheet filled with needs for all sorts of people to be hosts. And it's right out on the, the counter out there. What am I talking about, Dan? At the information desk. Thank you. <laughs> it's right there. You can go out there, and we're going to be talking about it over the coming weeks. But, but let that be another opportunity for you to live out what it is to be a host, to recognize Jesus and what Jesus has done for us as being the host at every table, and then to live that out incarnationally, to live it out as the body of Christ for our neighbors around us so that we can help people see Jesus and we can help ourselves be open to Jesus revealing himself to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, what words can I say other than thank you for revealing yourself to me, for opening the eyes of so many in this room, so many who have gone before us, and Lord, by your grace and by the power of your Holy Spirit, so many who will come after us. Lord, help us be your hands and feet. Help us, Lord, to get out of the way so that when people come, they don't see us, they only see you, Jesus, within us. You as the host at the table. You as the one who ends hostility between neighbors and between God and man. Lord, we are so grateful. Through your spirit, call us forward into your perfect will around your table. In Jesus' name, amen.